Boom, here we are. Yeah, I was just reading those uh, questions. Why don't we start there? Yeah, let's go right to it. All right. From at a James 39 what is the hardest part about creating an indoor percussion show? Hmm. Everything. Everything matters. That's too easy of an answer. Um, if If I can look back historically at the um, biggest hurdle that we've had as a as an organization in the context of, of Broken City, it's surprisingly where do we park the truck? Guestimating roughly $400. Every time you move the truck, boom, yeah. 400 bucks. And uh, that can quickly deplete the resources of the organization. So I know that's that was one thing that was... Uh, I think a turning point for Broken City is when we we finally found that location. Like, all right, our truck lives here. We have a great relationship with our with our rehearsal site. Okay, so you, I mean, he's saying creating an indoor show, but your True. mind went right to I, like I did. It's like you can't well, be calm enough to create right. unless like the logistics. Yeah, and, and I think part, maybe part of it too is I wasn't a good listener, and I'm not looking at the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I immediately I, I grabbed on to. Uh, just the indoor to the, the, thing. The difficult or the hardest part. I grabbed onto that, and I know that that's a that's one of those special sore spots, or at least it used to be. Well, I mean, if somebody asked me what's the hardest part about songwriting, I might go to like carving out time in my life so that I can just care about songwriting in my life. Because I know that when if stress levels rise or I'm worried about something, unless I'm writing a song about that, which is really rare. Like I don't feel like anxiety is art provoking but depression is or melancholy (laughs) it's interesting because at one point somebody said like you know i just am dealing with so much anxiety and i'm like maybe you can write about it and this is before i had really dealt with that before and and this person was like there's no i can't there's no way i can create when i'm anxious and then and then i had learned like oh yeah when you're feeling like that anxiety or some sort of intense worry about how your life's going to turn out or if you're going to pay the bills or whatever it might be like it shuts down creativity that's so yeah. I and i think logistics are one of those things like if you're right, like in the back right. of your head like where's how are we going to even pull this off are the where the drums going to get there like how can you create yeah so let's yeah i'm gonna I'll, let's I'll, go to the next i part. will actually answer the question this time <laughs> yeah um just a, a quick point though i, I think with at least on the 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 marching arts side of of things the anxiety perhaps that can be that can equate with uh deadlines and for some Ooh. reason you've dead, talked a lot about deadlines yeah, deadlines seem to work well for our side of the 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 art form um your side meaning like like writers? the marching arts okay no, the marching arts i i think at least most people i talk to that do what i do mm-hmm. um Deadlines can be extremely motivating, and yeah. and sometimes um, maybe reluctantly we do our best work when we know, man, that that rehearsal is is coming whether I like it or not, and there's got to be something there. Yeah, um, so you're you're a crammer. Yeah, I try not to be, but uh, but I don't think I. I but do you flourish? It. Like, does that pressure sort of like boost you? It's now or never. I mean, if you had five years to write the next Broken City show, would that be a good idea? No. <laughs> so, yes. No. Yeah. 
No, and, and I think perhaps I'm I'm being. Um, I think most of the cramming is are, are the the nuts and bolts. You're not cramming a concept. You're not cramming um, a vision of what you're trying to say. You're cramming the nuts and bolts to make sure. Yeah. That there's uh, functionality on the weekend. This, I mean, this concept hit me just now, of like artists and and restrictions or parameters or limitations. I guess is the word I'm looking for. Whereas, you know, like if you tell a painter, okay, paint, and the world is your canvas, it's like a little bit paralyzing as opposed to. Here you go, eight by ten frame paint, and time is like that. I think for artists, give them infinite amount of time, they'll they'll waste it all, or they'll have a hard time really knowing what's up. But like I've noticed in the past that I'm pretty inspired by, like if I'm feeling a general sense of inspiration at that time in my life, if I have to be somewhere at four, and it's like one, sometimes I'll just be like, I'm gonna freaking write and record the drums and guitars on a song. And it like, it gives me the sense of like, can I do it in time? Like rise the occasion kind of thing, like little imposed deadlines. Maybe, maybe that's the, the answer to that question is the, the hardest part about coming up with a show, show design is creating the initial, the initial parameters. There you Um, go. The con, yeah, the concept. It's not even necessarily the concept. It's just because sometimes the parameters happen before the concept. Like if I if I'm inspired by, um, I'll bleed into another question that I peeked at. I cheated um, about the two drum sets, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I have this aesthetic in mind, like okay, no matter what, we're going with two drum sets, and we're gonna write and create within those parameters, which is pretty extreme. It affects the battery book a lot. Knowing like if I'm writing the battery book, I have to know that there's two drum sets. I have to leave space for that um, yeah. opportunities and just little windows. Um, and this isn't just instrumentation. These are human beings that are going to be spending their time with us. So they have to have something to do and they have to feel like it was worthwhile. And so to, to make it that much of a, um, a, a worthwhile event for them, mm-hmm. it, it definitely has to be thought about way ahead of time. And that, that is the hardest part, I think, is, is what is that initial parameter that starts to shape what the show becomes? Because eventually, you know, that show became Cage, but we didn't know it was Cage yet. Yeah. You know, but and, it, it started to, to happen slowly with and also, the, man, the parameters. And also, man, like, I guess it's going on four years now that we've been working pretty tightly on this stuff, or maybe it's yeah. three, four. Um, I've noticed that one of, the, like, the in the planning stages, the conceptual design stage, whatever it is, um, you're pretty, I feel like there's at least a few times every year where you impose parameters and you did one today. I won't give away what it was, but you just said, this is going to be really difficult, but I have, this has to be real. When we do this certain thing, it's got to be like physically, um, happening, meaning like the physics of what we're doing can't be faked. Right. And I was like, oh, and it just makes it harder. But I think you're basically setting the tone of like, this has to be legitimately happening. We're not going to fake this. I think that's a parameter um, of 
the organization and not just any particular show. Well, then let me jump to a different question because this question is totally in that zone. Where you at? Where you at? Um, it is. Where's that question? It was about the um, the uniforms. I didn't see that one. That's not one I cheated with. Yeah, so it said, like, why... Um, I can't find it right now, but sorry, whoever asked that. It must be on a different page, but... Or a different Instagram account. But it said, like, why are you using the same design for the uniforms? Even though the Bloom trilogy is over, you're continuing to use... Yeah, and that actually... That uniform didn't even arrive... I assume they're talking about the one we're using currently. Um, that didn't arrive until cage and it was uh it was one of those parameters i thought that would be um special that as far as i know no one else has done that where we use the same uniform costume every year it's a double whammy too right it's like oh one less thing but it's also like no this is a hallmark of what we do well the interesting thing is is that it actually becomes pretty challenging to take the same costume and how do we give it new life every year mm -hmm. um based on the textures and the color palette and 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 the, the contrast like meaning if if there was a you know, a patch of some light colored material with no sheen and then it was uh adjacent to a darker patch with with high sheen um not just reversing, not just changing the color and changing the texture, but also changing the contrast completely changes the look of the costume. That's something we were, we've been toying around with the last couple of years. Um, yeah, in a way, I mean, this might be reaching, but you've basically decided the uniform is a series of, of frames. So it's like, right. You're going to deal with those frames and make it new every year. But that's like sort of like a, one of the things that doesn't change. I know there's a lot of stuff like that. When I go from album to album, it's like um, there's there's just like little little subjective things that or that might seem subjective, but to me they're like they're not. They're just like no, like I was actually talking about this with Corey and just saying like I don't feel like I have a finished album until I feel like I've gone through pretty much every major emotion in that period of my life. So like something that I'm angry about, something that I'm frustrated about, something that I'm thinking about that's metaphysical or, or spiritual, um, something that's very much of the moment, something that's very much of my life. And there's some kind of like little potpourri kind of recipe or something where like if I haven't hit all those things, I don't really feel like I have an album. I don't really feel like I have a reason to group these songs together. So then an album ends up being like a real snapshot of like, here, here I was during this period going through all the stuff that I go through. Right. Um, it, it's my man cycle. <laughs> <laughs> and then it culminates in the birth of an album. Right. Um, okay, next question. Yeah. Keep it moving right along here. Huh, mallet percussion composition tips. Mallet percussion. We need Keisha. Where's Keisha? Um, I could give him some tips, though. Yeah, <laughs> now's your chance, dude. <laughs> Why don't you give Kayshaw some tips? Actually, I, I could, I can, I can speak on this a little bit. Um, the as far as like you know, harmonic 
structure and the the journey that that Kevin creates with uh, with our front ensemble book. Um, can't comment too much on that. He's the the expert there. Um, however, there is some some things that we've we've done in the past. We don't always do it. It's not necessarily a formula, but it's it's a I guess a a, a tool a tactic mm-hmm. that we we can use um, is allowing the battery percussion to be written first and then taking the architecture whatever rhythms are happening whatever complexity is happening in the battery um shaping the front ensemble mallet book off that rather than trying to rather than putting it all on the the front ensemble composer um to write this completed finished product i didn't know that so how often does that happen you like literally turn in a bunch of battery stuff and he writes to it? It it depends. There's been some years where I have this theme that I want to do and and rather than try to express it to him and and hope for the best, I'll write first. So I'll create the motif, I'll leave space where I want space and then I'm thinking visually too, so I know it needs to happen on the floor when when all this stuff is going on and then um he'll take that Mm-hmm. And he'll use that as his as his architecture, so to speak. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm and like so in the dark. Top. That's yeah. like a surprise to me. Yeah, and that's, that that reminds me of like you know the the songwriting question you always get. You know, is it like lyrics first or music or melodies yeah. or music? And like, it's I would never guess that that's the way. Yeah. So it's always different, but you kind of prefer to do it that way. So you're free. I, I don't think I have any preference. I think it's it's. Uh, but do you feel a little bit boxed in if he gives you a bunch of music and you're like, oh, I have to write to this? No, because there's and this isn't this isn't too groundbreaking. I think this is fairly common where the front ensemble might might be written in completion, but it's it's somewhat in draft mode. Then the battery guy takes it, does what he wants to do, and there's some compromises that are made to the anything that's that's uh, that articulates in the front ensemble. So not like a string patch in the, in the sense or anything like that, but you know, you're talking about a xylophone or marimba. Um, yeah, really you strong. Might, right. You might have a, you might have a, a, a triplet roll passage happening with the battery where previously written in the marimba book, you might have some 16th notes. You might want to clean that up. You might want to homogenize the rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you want texture and, and chaos you know, for a second. Yeah, Perceived if that's chaos. if that's a color that you're looking for, um, that kind of opaque, uh, rhythmic texture, then then maybe you leave it. But we always kind of revisit, and mm. I, I might circle problem areas like, hey, I decided to do this quarter note triplet motif here, and you have some eighth notes, so let's clean that up, because in the in the space of a of an arena or a gym, yeah, it's not too forgiving with complex textures. Yeah, you have that um, so, all that reverb to deal with, right? So you kind of if if what you're trying to say is supposed to be articulate and sharp, uh-huh. you probably want to homogenize the rhythms. Yeah. So here's a question for you that's a little less conceptual, more specific. Like, um, do you have any sort of rules that you that apply to like you know xylophone versus marimba or things that you're like I hate when they when like your personal like hates and loves for what those instruments should and shouldn't do based completely on your subjective, like just be opinion, be super opinionated. All right. If, if somebody, <laughs> let's say K fell off a cliff and died on impact. Wait, no, that's not good. 
Let's say Keisha went on a vacation. Let's not say. <laughs> anyway, so like somebody new came in and they did like the op, like the thing you hate for like xylophones. Like let's say hard mallets on a very staccato instrument. What would be that thing that you're like, uh, no, that's not for me. And don't be afraid to offend anybody. <laughs> when I think about just front ensembles in general, um, the... But specifically. The, yeah. Yeah. Okay. okay. So I can't say in general. Um, yeah. Well, I would say it doesn't relate to mallets. I'd, I'd say it relates to more of the um, auxiliary accents, non-melodic percussion um, can be, if not done right, can be um, very disruptive to a, a complex battery phrase so first thing that comes to mind of it of it being well done for wrong. instance like if you've got if you've got some snare passage happening and then all of a sudden that the concert snare comes in if there's an extreme um exposure to error given that the textures are are pretty similar mm -hmm. um as far as they're, they're both snare drums and different types of snare drums but um it would have to be so perfect to to really communicate whatever that idea is which can be done and it can be very cool but i think it should be done on purpose i think if there's an intent of hey i'm going to deliberately put this concert snare part on top of the the marching snare part and it's it's going to create this cool you know stereophonic sound whatever whatever that event happens to be then that that's usually fine because there's no surprises it's like i know it's coming and it's deliberately written it's it's when there's uh, and you're just saying that that's more likely to be to get screwed up just because the front to back. Yeah, I, I just uh, like there's some more generic approaches like oh snare drums are playing concert snare or uh, the bass drums have this big impact coming up so I'm gonna I'm going to um, echo that that bass rhythm in the concert bass or the low toms in the pit. You avoid and that. I I would prefer to avoid it. Okay, um, unless again this is all contextual unless it's deliberate like hey let's do this and it's talked about um but in general you like a little bit of a separation between church and state <laughs> i i wouldn't want i would want well i would hope that that every element of the percussion front ensemble or battery is um like special is speaking because of speaking a certain way because of the intent like we meant it to sound like that you know and happy accidents are cool but um yeah, you know i recall sorry to interrupt but i recall like what's it called in italian tutti but like when a whole when a whole band plays like when the bass like in a rock band it's like a riff thing it's like everybody's playing the same thing that can either be stupid or awesome but if that's like kind of your go-to thing is for everybody to like especially if it's like the vocal and the guitar it's like i keep doing this thing where i'm going back to like my world versus the indoor percussion world but like it's pretty rare that i'll like decide okay the guitar is going to play exactly what i'm singing you know i think i love what you said when you said the go-to it the go-to is what i have a problem with i don't have a problem i don't have any sort of like rule black and white rules regarding you just don't voicing. want a predetermined like yeah if someone has an idea like hey i got this cool idea what if 
you know, the bass drums and the, and the, um, low toms or, uh, certos in the, in the front ensemble are mimicking or they're playing off each other. And, um, we're doing this kind of low end thing. That's like, uh -huh. it's meant to be this way. Um, I love stuff like that cause it's weird. And, and as long as we know it's coming, it's, it's the go-to stuff like, Oh, the bass drums went boom, 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 crash. So the concert bass goes boom, 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 crash. It's like, right. How about the concert bass waits? At least skips one or something. Yeah, <laughs> let's skip the first three. Yeah, and I so guess you know where the tempo is. <laughs> yeah, and I guess and this is the last one. This is what's behind the basic concept of counterpoint. It's like counterpoint is interesting. If everything's doing, if you know things are just kind of locked up, it's just less interesting. I think that's why maybe riff rock is like kind of polarizing. Either kind of love it or you hate it, or it gets old, or it's easy for it to get old. If you have a band that's just, um, like for example, like a, um, you know, Rage Against the Machine became Audio Slave, and if you hear too many of those pentatonic things where the whole band's going like, you're like, okay, the melody better be good, and then the next song is like, and you're like, all right, dude. Somebody play something different. Wait, are you are you criticizing the Rage Against the Machine? Can you do <laughs> yeah. that? Is that legal? Oh yeah. I don't know. I love a lot of their stuff, but <laughs> yeah. However, no, and actually, just, I'm a bigger fan of some of the Audio Slave stuff because I think Chris Cornell threw a wrench in that, and a lot of times you could hear like, "Oh, Chris wrote the bridge," or that's a new take on singing over those kind of riffs and. You could feel the juxtaposition coming in. It was like that's what made that that band refreshing. Rest in peace, Chris. Yes. Um, all right. Next question. Yeah. Uh, just one clarification. That, yeah. That the the go to thing is is not something I experience a lot in writing with the people that I write with. It's mm. historically speaking, and just learning along the way. Um, it's it's one of those things that. Uh, can get annoying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's not happening at the Broken City level. For sure. Right. Okay. Uh, let's see. What do you guys as an organization look for in snare drummers? That's at MJG13. Ask that question. I would think that my answer would apply to any instrument. Um, really? Even if they walked in and said, I'm going to audition and I'm playing matched grip and I don't know how to play traditional. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> that's well, dumb. Yeah, that's Sorry. obvious. Um, I'm an idiot. <clears throat> yeah, we yeah, look for specifically in snare drummers though, like that would be different from tenors or I, I certain don't know touch. If, I don't know if I can say something that would be different than it's musicianship. Um, awareness I, I i actually um i have this uh what about touch this, if somebody came in and they were playing like for example like really into the drum and like low and kind of well, tight would, so you're hitting on a lot of like this whole thing could just rabbit hole in any direction so i think maybe the way i could answer the question that would be helpful is that um we'll go to the the bruce lee the go-to Bruce Lee. And the one-inch punch? The, no, the style is there is no style. Oh, okay. And 
you know, I know you're a huge MMA, like UFC Mm -hmm. fan. And I actually bring that up sometimes in auditions that uh, we found out real quick um, that what, what the superior form is. Um, it didn't take too long to realize that, oh, karate, taekwondo, kung fu, nope, it's the grapplers. Yeah. If you don't have some sort of grappling training, the Roman Greco or, or jiu-jitsu, or jiu-jitsu yeah. if you don't have that training, um, you are simply like null and void in a human-to-human con- conflict. Yeah, you better get lucky with your mashups. Right. But yeah. So, so um, I think snare drumming... Mm-hmm. can be the same way that if if you're if you want a particular sound or there's a particular rhythm or a combination combinations of rhythms um sticking i mean there's so many variables that it's what technique did i need to use to achieve the thing i wanted to achieve well then that's the technique right so it's it's not the other way around which is sort of how i was taught when in back in high school um, that here's the technique, here's how we play, and then here's all the things we can play using this technique rather than let's play everything right? and let's not have a technique. Let's just do whatever is required of us to play that thing that we want to play. And if I need to let go of the stick to play that thing, I'm letting go of the stick. And so you want, I would say then, if I'm going to tra- translate for the question's sake, like that you want somebody who's malleable and who... Believes right. in that philosophy. Well, because you said, you mentioned, I went this direction because you said, you know, they come in and they're hitting the snare drum really hard and and it's, okay, sometimes that's what we want. And so would sometimes you, Sometimes that's not what we want. Would you immediately say like, hey, give me the opposite. Play like this. And if they can't do it, is that sort of like, I'm talking about auditions here. Like, would it, would it be like, oh, shoot, that's a person who's who can't keep up with the idea of playing really different. It's like somebody who came in and all they knew was Kung Fu. And it would be like, uh, you go back and learn wrestling and jujitsu and then see me in a year or, you know, yeah, or I, 10 years. Well, I think it's, it's, uh, it's, well, first of all, the, the, the warm up packet, I would like to believe has enough twists, in. twists and turns in it to where it's going to expose somebody's um, lack of vocabulary or, uh, ability to adjust technique to achieve certain rhythms, certain sounds, and and sometimes the you know it, not all of the interpretation is on paper. It's, yeah, it's, it has to be, it has to be taught at some point, because um, you can only get so much information off the paper. Right, but that is pretty um, cool. I mean, if um, MJG thirteen to to get the audition packet and look at it and really like know that that yeah. was very deliberate. It's well, kind of yeah, helpful, right? Most of that stuff is on YouTube anyway. So, I mean, they it's very rare that somebody comes into an audition mm-hmm. doesn't know what's going on. Mm. Like, all those exercises are on YouTube within six months of their inception, and most of those exercises are several years old anyway. Mm. So there's plenty of examples of... Sounds like you need to update it, man. Oh. Just kidding. I got a cramp <laughs> in my foot just now, and it was like almost podcast ending. That was really weird. You got any potassium on you? Okay. <laughs> Next question. That was scary. What inspires you guys to create abstract shows versus shows that are straight to the point? This is at Cargo Toodlies. Uh, 
it's I love the phrase like on the nose and uh off the nose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's off the nose for sure. <laughs> um a friend of mine, uh Tommy Keenum, uses that phrase like so wisely and so appropriately. And uh it's uh it when you're completely on the nose with something, well maybe I should I should clarify this. Um or qualify it this is for me personally um and i I can somewhat speak for for kevin um i don't know how to do on the nose it's sort of like comedy like delivering a joke getting the timing right um i could tell you a story and then at the end i'm gonna say well i guess you had to be there and i feel like on the nose programming is is that for me it's it's not a bad thing. I think we need that. There's a lot of groups out there that are very on the nose and they, they do it well and they're rewarded for it. Um, I can't do it. And, and we don't need a copycat. We don't need another group that sounds like some other group. So can you not do it? Cause it's just not you or can you not do it? Cause when you start to do it, you just something in you goes, no, I think, I think it's a combination of ability and also um, like lack of ability to do on the nose. I think that takes a certain type of like personality, um, yeah. certain sense of uh, confidence and charisma with that sort of thing that mm. I, I tend not to have. Um, I think. Uh, well, it's represented in your personality. I've known you a long time. And I think um, even in asking you these questions, like you really tend to go to this conceptual, like you like to create, a slightly more abstract world in which to work in so that you're not on the nose, you know, like it, you're not just answering a question with a specific thing. You kind of like to play in the abstract and, and I, I really relate to that too. And in my career, I've like, I've had to do a lot of on the nose stuff and it's like, there's a little feeling in my stomach when I do it. Like there's some kind of, I don't know if it's like a, it's that sellout muscle starts to contract or it's something like, oh man, this could be so much more layered. And I think for me, it's a deep belief that when you're not on the nose, you're creating layers that reveal themselves with further listens. And I think that's like, there's a depth to that. I think it's also a perceived depth, even if the depth isn't built in where once you deliver something on the nose, I feel like you have to keep explaining yourself and you have to literally have the depth. Like you have to show it. Um, you have to ex explain everything. Once you open that door of realism and on the nose, it's uh, it's just a, it's an ecosystem that is completely foreign and just weird to me. And I, I don't want to live in that. And I think it's, it just comes down to preference. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too is that it's a um, it's analogous, guess analogous, analogous to uh, who we are as people. You know, we're so much of a of consciousness or being alive is about like what's going on in your subconscious or your unconscious, and so I think we like when there when we experience art and it feels like there's a subconscious in the art. And I think when something's on the nose, everything's visible. It's like all on the surface. But if we create art that like 
somehow there are, there are pieces missing or there are things that you don't see that you somehow feel that's really a big part of it that's that's the stu- that's what i'm really drawn to and i think that's like it helps the art represent life because like when you talk to somebody and it's somebody it's a person that that has some depth to them you know that what they're saying isn't the whole picture and you can kind of get a sense oh there's more to this person than just what they say and um i don't know there's something about that when you feel that in art it's cool like represents life more i guess and that's that's the cool thing about this activity is that it, uh, it doesn't have to be art and it i guess it just is whatever you say it is whatever it's, you believe it is it's the sport of the arts so you can have a 60% sport <laughs> yeah. 40% art i saw i i just happened to be walking i was at a a band show the other day and i just happened to be walking um past the stadium on my way to my, uh to the car and uh, a group took the field and and i i think they were maybe five to 10 seconds into their show and the crowd was going nuts mm. just on their feet. And I just, I laughed because my first thought of course was, uh, oh, I could never do that. Like there's no way I could write a show where the crowd would be going crazy in the first <laughs> five to 10 seconds. And I, I was just laughing in my car and I felt like really like, I don't know. It was, it was like this happy emotion. Like, that is so cool that this kind of marching arts world um, can affect people like that. You know, most people don't don't even know that this this thing exists, and uh, it's it's cool that it, there's so much. I, I guess it's just like you could consider it like the pop world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's those those bands and those songs and those those artists and performers that that uh, really like they hit on the nose so accurately and well that it's just this concentrated entertainment and it's, it just endorphins, you know what I mean? And then, yeah. and then you have like the, you know, the, the radio heads and the whatnot that, that are approaching it. Like it's, it's a different language. Just cause something's d- direct and simple doesn't mean it's easy. It, yeah. But, I think that's, that's a perfect way to say it. And I, I would even say it's, it's not, simple maybe the the impact the result is simple but getting a crowd i mean if if i if i said okay here, here's your challenge i want you to write a show and the crowd needs to be on their feet screaming 10 seconds into it yeah um, i mean it matters what it is like yeah, it's, it's the difference between like minimalist art i mean it comes across i guess not simple but i guess direct and the right things happening at the right time and everything that's supposed to be gotten from it is there to be gotten. I will, I will say that I'll, I'll put a, an opinion down about it, which is just that I think that stuff that hits you really big right away tends to also wear off quicker. You know, I would, I would make like a food <laughs> analogy and say like some things are candy and some things are, are very right. detailed, like, Ooh, what's going on in this complex taste, you know? And it's like, but, Sometimes you really want candy and you don't want that like complex thing. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, I think, um, no one would ever say, um, well, candy shouldn't exist then. Right. And I think, I think that's the the part I, I think is, is so cool about, um, what we do in the, in the marching arts side of things is that there's room for everyone. There's room for every approach and it makes it 
way more entertaining and interesting from a spectator standpoint. Like being being a fan of the activity. Um, I you know? want candy, yeah. but not only candy, please. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. <laughs> uh, here's one little curveball from uh, at Becca Tikai. Any embarrassing or funny moments from practice or rehearsals that you can remember? Nope. Never been embarrassed. <laughs> Nothing funny ever happens in Broken City. Oh man. Um no no specific event comes to mind. Um wait, wait. There's wait. just a I, I guess it's a general silliness to some of the personalities involved. It's different every year. Um it's have you ever been embarrassed in in, in a rehearsal, like in a, in a way? <laughs> well, let me think. Because you're not somebody who's often embarrassed, but I think the potential is there. No, I'm I'm embarrassed more often than I'd like to be. Have you uh, ever been like telling telling something like a, having a serious talk with the battery, and you look down, and your flies down, <laughs> anything like that? <laughs> no, I don't. No, no. I think. I, I've lost my train of thought sometimes. I'm so inside my own head and I'll be saying something and then I just have this... And then just blonk. Well, I have this like zoom effect where all of a sudden I'm literally like looking out this lens at everything in front of me oh. and there's a self-conscious thing that happens. So then um, you realize like, that's oh, happened. a bunch of people are looking at me. Yeah. And then your brain empties. But I, I don't think to the point where... Couldn't recover. Where I, where I outwardly show that, mm. like I don't think it's it's happened to where I'm, I start laughing or other people start laughing. Right. Um, now I, I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable in a rehearsal environment. I think uh, when I'm when I'm in the zone, funny. yeah. So I, I tend to just I mean if something funny happens, it happens. I don't know if I've ever been embarrassed. Yeah, and I would say the funny stuff is probably just like par for the course. So there's not anything you really no. They're, that they're goofballs. Out. They they have to be goofballs. They're they're crazy to want to beat well, themselves up for that. Sorry, Becca. There's no like revelatory one. <laughs> it's just super fun all the time and not embarrassing. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, here's here's a good one. Unique bonding techniques you guys do before rehearsals or competitions, and that's from at. Kyo.drum.cannot. I I mean nothing there's nothing uh Dude, I think your your little Braveheart speeches before and after you know when Mel Gibson's on the horse going back and <laughs> I forth. don't have any Braveheart speeches. No, well, everything I You're not wearing the blue the war no, paint and no, like no. I in fact I actually don't I'm not really a big fan of that. Well that's that. why I like them because like they're they're understated and they're like um, or maybe you don't see it because it's you and whatever. But I, I just like the fact that when this is what I enjoy actually about um, being in church and when somebody breaks it down and goes, like, hey, we're going to pray right now. Usually I'm like, oh, well, this is like kind of weird. Like I have sort of like a, a reaction of like, this is awkward because we're like, there's 10 people here and somebody just wants to pray. So we're now we're going to all be quiet and like, you know, like I always wonder, like who, who's open, who's going to open their eyes and look around. Like, what's the deal? But then when you feel somebody who really is just like, no, I'm, they totally owning it, and you feel that their prayer is like sincere. There are times when it'll just there's like a little warm fuzzy that comes over me, and I'll just be like, wow, this is like, 
this is what this group of people needed is somebody to to like pull up what's underneath the surface and like get us out of a mode of surface level like get us out of that mode of being funny and because broken city does have like a you know there's a when i come and visit it does seem fun but it's also serious but when when you like bring people together and just say what's on your mind everybody kind of remembers like oh yeah we're taking this seriously this show has some meaning i think i think there's nice there's um, moments where I just detect that everybody's caught up in the nuts and bolts and I want them to zoom out a little bit. So it's not, it's not a contrived thing that I do. There's no ritual that I do. Um, you talk to everybody before every comp comp though. Yeah. But sometimes it's, it's just like, I'll literally just say, Hey, bring it in. All right. Don't mess it up. And then that's it. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> and it's, it's done tongue in cheek. Like yeah. it's, they know I'm kidding. Like, um, but it changes based on the vibe you're getting from them that day, right? Right. And then sometimes I want to, I want them to zoom out. Like, I feel like they're just too inside, like that left hand and this flam and this, this, you know, this direction change. And I want them to go, Hey, like none of that matters. What matters is that I believe you when I'm sitting in the stands, I need to look out on the floor. I want to believe you. So I think it's, if I were to translate, not that you need translation, but um, they said like unique bonding techniques. And I, I would say like it's it's unique to, it's probably a skill that you've built up either consciously or unconsciously throughout the years of like getting a vibe for the the collective consciousness of the group. Like is everybody too too technically focused? Are they not focused enough on that? Or, you know, what what's going to be the best and shortest little thing that I can do that's going to make the biggest impact? Sometimes it's a, a slight tongue in cheek, semi sarcastic, don't screw up. And everybody goes like, Oh yeah. Okay, I need to focus. Or it's something a little bit more whatever the opposite of that, you know. Maybe they need to loosen up. Or so that I think that's a cool bonding, even though it's not deliberately bonding. Yeah. It's not like put your hands in the center and everybody like, Woo broken yeah, city. No. If they do if you do happen to see them doing that, it's something that they do as membership. The staff's not involved in that, but the one thing I just just came to me while you were talking is that I say the most important thing we do um, is talk afterwards. We meet at the truck, and we do have a routine that we talk about it. That's and, actually what I remember the most too. Yeah. Actually, come to think of it, yeah. So, so that that part is is pretty special because it allows like the the pressure's off, and we can talk about, hey, why didn't that mic cable work, and you know what happened to the. What happened to the chain? Came off the reel again. <laughs> um, but we can also talk about, you know, how how did that feel? And like you guys really took that, uh, you know, those those two days of rehearsal, and we saw it. We saw the progress, and we saw the achievement happen, and it was believable. Hopefully, that's that's the response. Yeah, and and, th- and then we prepare ourselves for the next week because we typically have five days where we won't see each other five to six days where we won't see each other again. Yeah. Once we leave that circle. And for those of you out there listening to like, um, my relationship to the group is very come and go, you know, like I'm, I, I'm not there a lot and it's an interesting creative relationship. So in, in a lot of ways, like I'm, I'm, I'm like a fan of the group and I don't really know a ton of the nuts and bolts of, especially of rehearsals and whatever. So, 
when I see these things, I I feel like I'm one foot in, one foot out, kind of like, oh, how does this function, you know? So, and it's been a long time since I've been in your group. I mean, it's been since the nineties, but one of the things I noticed and that really has stuck with me from actually going from being your student to being your friend, to being your collaborator and friend, um, is that you're pretty, you're honest. Like, I don't, I don't know if I ever see you encourage for the sake of encouragement, which takes, it's hard. Like I'm definitely somebody who I put in the forefront of my mind, like encouragement is something that is kind of like, just do it as much as you can, or at least that's what I attempt to do is like, make sure you pepper that in. Like if I have to, if I, even if I'm like pissed or something, I'll be like, well, I gotta add this. But I, I get the sense that you're like, no, if, if there's nothing encouraging to say, I'm only going to critique today and let that stand, which is, I think, admirable. I think it's a cool trait. I'm not saying you're a jerk. I'm just no, saying no, no, that no. It's, you, it's because I consider that like definitely one of the, uh, a weakness or at least a, a part of myself that I am working on. It's like a work in, pro- in progress where... I think people do people who do that garner respect because they they don't just throw out like niceties. Yeah, it, at the same time though, it can it can spiral into an emotional um, response, which it feels nine like, times out of ten is regrettable. What it feels like negative, or when you're doing um, it. I, I guess I'm in, in right now. I'm I'm just putting this in the context of um, I always want to be unclouded basically and the, yeah. the, the second that i'm i'm not feeling something um it's got to be i want to make rational and logical decisions and especially what what comes out of my mouth next mm-hmm. um what do you mean by not feeling um i don't want to make decisions or say things in an emotional state oh yeah, yeah, yeah. so um but inevitably it's yeah i think it it manifests itself into me being you call it honest but um i guess just authentic you know letting your right. emotions come out in but your I, speech but what I, what i would i say what i would, what i am working on what i would like to do more of is to maybe those things just don't bother me and i'm still authentic but i'm just uh not so bothered by those little things because mm. the more time goes on the more you find that those things didn't matter anyway why was I so worried about it? Mm. You so. know, here, here's a little offshoot because I remember we've we've had this discussion before, and it'd be interesting to just sort of share the idea. Um, I don't know how many of you out there are aware of, um, I guess it's being called the intellectual dark web, but it's a group of people. Brett Weinstein and Joe Rogan's a part of it. Jordan Peterson, Sam Harris, um, handful of people that you can find on the internet. And on YouTube videos talking about philosophy, religion, consciousness, all this kind of stuff. And it's interesting because I'd say you and I are both, you know, respect and are fans of Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson, but they're sort of on other sides of the fence, I guess. They have debates. And and one of the things you always say about Sam Harris is like, I wish I could be that calm or like composed or unemotional or whatever. And one of the things that I love about Jordan Peterson is that he's very intense and passionate and he can get angry and, and sort of 
um, you know, he's got a bit of a temper, but it doesn't really, at least in my opinion, it doesn't really affect the quality of what he says, but it definitely affects the delivery. Um, it affects what he says, but not the quality of it. It's not like he goes on angry rants and then has to like back up and go like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that. I didn't even mean it. Right, right. It's right. more that he gets more precise, but it gets intense. And a lot of people, like in one debate, somebody called him a mean white man, <laughs> you know? So like, <laughs> and, um, but it'd be interesting to hear you talk about that, what you admire about Sam Harris, because it sounds like it's a similar, it's what you're talking about. That uh, ability to sort of rise above your emotional state, right? Yeah, just to back up and a little bit. The the thing that I enjoy about about those individuals, like all of them, mm. um, I freely listen to all of them when I have time, and I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to take a side. I just I love the exchange, the authentic, honest exchange of ideas, and I love hearing the the. Uh, Sometimes they're debates. Sometimes they're just you know deep discussions. But right, I love hearing that the they're more the, perceived as debates than they really are. Yeah, debates. and I mean, it depends on who's talking. They can agree with each other or not. But um, the I think it's just being more mindful. I know that's a little bit of a buzzword, mindfulness. Um, yeah, but uh, I think something that that I I. The concept I, I love to borrow and it's something that Sam Harris has said is it's not whether you get angry or whether you're you're upset or emotional. It's how long do you remain in that state? Huh. And I, I love the the trying to wrap my head around that. Like it's like let's say you're you're angry, you're angry for an hour, and how much damage could you do in an hour being angry? And now imagine, <laughs> if you're texting a lot. <laughs> <laughs> if you're angry for five minutes, um I would, I would still submit that if you're angry for five minutes, you could, you could do something that uh, would be perpetually damaging, even for five minutes. So and now, let's let's say you're angry for five seconds, and now you're somewhat in control and you're being mindful, and you can still experience that emotion, and you can still process it. You're just processing it. That's quicker. enough time for like a jab left yeah. hook and the idea and just, is the kidding. idea is to get it down to you know a few seconds to where it's like deep breath you're cool you're over it and you know that um you will have a greater perspective a more macro zoomed out mm -hmm. um and it's interesting too because that's that translates in a in an expanded sense for some reasons came to my head is that like people who have a lot of baggage or who are carrying trauma or, um, and this is something that Jordan Peterson has talked about. And it's something that he, he has a thing called like, um, self-authoring, self-authoring.com. And it's like you, it's tools for kind of dealing with your past, kind of outlining your present and then planning for the future. And he talks about if there's something that's over roughly a year and a half old, that's still, having a significant emotional impact on your life, it's, it really needs to be dealt with. It's like, you know, there are people who are like perpetually angry. You know, I could imagine, I mean, imagine the worst thing, you know, a loved one gets murdered. <clears throat> but if you, if you don't have, that's why forgiveness is so powerful. Like if, 
if you're not able to sort of let go of a negative emotion, or not a negative emotion, because anger isn't always negative, but there's self-righteous anger and there's whatever. It's a, you don't have to qualify it as good or bad. But I think if you're hanging on to anger for years and years and years and years, it's really hurting you even more than anybody else. And you're hurting everybody else. It's like, it's very poisonous, but it's interesting to look at it on the micro and micro like that. Like there's definitely, I mean, <laughs> when you're married, it's like they, there's that old adage, you know, like don't go to bed angry. And it's like, it's pretty valid. Cause when I've gone, gone to bed angry, it's like, it has a chance to sort of seep deeper in. And that's what causes like, it can cause long-term resentment and stuff. And like that, that stuff is just poison. But then speaking and communicating when you're super mad or whatever, it's like, holy crap. It can be just as bad as, I guess any extreme emotion, if you act on it, can really go either way, right? Like if, you, if you're super, you know, turned on or something like how many people have done crazy things when they're just super in that state or if you're manic and super happy like you'll do things that are more risky or whatever i don't know you're looking at me with a weird look what is that no <laughs> am i on a it's tangent one, yeah how do we, we're on extreme tangent all right well that's when you go to the next question um anyways bonding techniques that we did it okay um <laughs> here's one make this short What's your personal favorite audible? This is by at if.she.breathe. Uh, this is one of the ones I read beforehand. Um, and it just made me laugh because I'm not even sure what they're talking about. Um, they're talking about I, like a... I, I have to assume it's one of those like behind the curtain that the performers are saying it on the floor um, without what? the knowledge of the of the audience. I, I, I mean, that not that what I... Well, what was was there an audible for the two rim shots, <clears throat> or is it a secret? It's not a secret. Um, was everybody using their internal clock? Well, apparently, it wasn't. It wasn't uh, um, sufficient enough for that second one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. Um, but audible, man. I, I mean, I don't know. Like the first thing that did you just evade head, the question? Was there one? No, no, no. What were they, were they dudding or anything? Yeah, or? they're super, super secret, super like quiet. covert duts okay. back there. I mean, I mean, is that? I mean, even with the duts, it's still hard. Oh, There's totally. A lot of variables in there, but it is an audible. <laughs> <laughs> Dut is my favorite audible. Um, I. I I That's had, enough of an I, answer for me. Well, no, no, no I'll answer it because it, it, it actually doesn't relate to Broken City. And it's, this is one of those things where um, I'm a bad storyteller and it's going to be funny to me uh -oh. and maybe two other people. Make it short then. I'll make it really short. So yeah, back in Suncoast Sound, 1989, the tenors, uh, actually it was the, the snares yelled name and the tenors yelled Rocky and then the snares yelled occupation and the tenors yelled i'm a squirrel <laughs> we'll leave it at that that is my favorite audible. <laughs> that's a good one jim Wonderlick, you remember that one shout out uh, okay here's here's a quick one from at manny dot xi which that means 11 doesn't it um roman numerals 
when the i's before the x it's minus 10 it's like nine <laughs> right i'm stupid uh double drum set making a comeback question mark and Oof. the answer is the answer is um not today possibly oh boss no like 2019 no okay um Boom. 2020 and beyond everything's a possibility like you know it all depends on who comes and what the inspiration yeah. is give me okay. a call you play drum set and you got a buddy that plays drum set and uh it's good yeah all things good yeah or maybe you're schizophrenic <laughs> we'll set up two kits for you um okay at prince lone star with two r's where do you guys get inspiration for your shows? I should have read that first because we already answered it. No, we didn't. We actually kind of didn't answer that. Everything. Life. Life, I think. Wah, wah. It's... Uh, we'll be specific. It's hard to be specific on questions like that because I don't think that question can't... I mean, it's different. It's different every year. It's it's hard to know. Um, okay, well, there's this, there's definitely... Okay, let me ask. I'll put some specificity on it. There's there was the commitment when it became Broken City that all content was to come from inside um, our little triumvirate, Kevin, Mike, me. Yeah. So I guess we inspire each other. So like maybe we could talk a little bit about how that works because um, certain things, there's certain elements that have come from like conceptual stuff that 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 you walk in with some things come from seeds of things interpretations of my songs yeah, right like I, there's been years where i listen to one of your songs sometimes it's something from way back archives um years old and it'll just hit me i'm like man let's 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 blow this thing up let's unpack this song mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh and let's see what we can do with it. And sometimes that involves um, taking your vocal stems mm -hmm. and using them independently of the music in the actual song where Kevin would be composing. Almost always it's that, except for maybe the riff in Mother, Father. Sure. Um, so there's that method. And then sometimes it's conceptual. It's like, all right, and I, I reverse engineer that. So it would be, I'm really feeling this, and then it's something that, that you relate to and that Kevin relates to and we're, we're all on the same page. And then I will go through the whole catalog of everything that all three of us have written to look for what hits on this and how can we manipulate it? Even if we don't end up using it, it's something that we can later, um, cause you've done this in the past where you write something specific for broken city right. percussion. Um, and I, I love when you do that cause it's, it's so proprietary. It's exactly what we're trying to do. It's exact it's exactly the voice that we want to create within the activity. It's always a little scary for me too, actually, because the fear is it won't be used or I don't know. Well it's it's uh it's made like some of my favorite moments are those moments where we send you a video of what we're actually doing on the floor. And it's like most of the time we don't give you any direction as far as um, what to say, how to say it, when to say it. It's just, here it is, and we're thinking this needs something, and here's what we're trying to say visually. Like, we are trying to portray this conflict or this struggle is happening on the floor. 
and then you run with it and uh break the show yeah it did one year but then we fixed it um <laughs> what what happened <laughs> shout out to tony nunez for that one he he uh he, he was a inspiration it, on us fixing it um i don't we, remember we just, what that was but. well we we added vocals in a spot that didn't need it oh and we broke the show and then what happened was uh um we actually just made space for it so we got it was the one of the rare times where we got our cake and got to eat it too where mm. we got to do the thing that was so cool without vocals yeah and then we created this hole for the for the vocals to exist and we did a rare thing and we we rewrote all the visual which is super hard to do like once you've like once you've done once you've moved beyond a certain movement um visually it's hard to go back and rewrite everything because it it just uh it's this linear thing like rewriting dots and how are they going to get over there and and uh right it's it's a logistic problem so you deal with space so it was one of those rare moments where we went back and we fixed it and it was way better than the original version so we got to keep both we got to keep the awesome vocals we got to keep the thing that we wanted to happen and it was a cool moment yeah there's definitely a lot of like um i don't know chaos that goes down and then it's sort of like problem solving within the conceptual framework that ends up creating i don't know the moments that that tend to work or something it's almost like <laughs> I wouldn't go so far as to say that you sabotage things in order to get a result, but it's part of, it's like your process. It's like, it's a very, um, it's a very art, like artful process of just kind of not, you're flying by the seat of your pants. I guess there, there's no, uh, or at least very little, um, template. It's like, okay, we got the template, let's fill it in. And that creates a lot of like, I sure hope this works out or like Well some some of it is just a an execution problem like with anything if if you have a a piece of architecture like you're looking at this this layout and it's like okay we need you know this this church needs a steeple all right well how did you get that steeple on there and did you think that through and did you ruin the whole line of the archway by putting the steeple where you put it and how you put it and you yeah. know what i mean so it's just a it's an execution problem where okay yeah it needs a steeple but don't ruin the archway in the process and i think that's that's the trick is uh, getting the execution right because there's a lot of great ideas out there with uh with the whole activity and you look at it as a whole like there's great ideas it's just sometimes one particular group will nail the execution and like you got to give it to them it's like that's their year. Yeah. They nailed it. Yeah, and to I mean just to kind of wrap it back up too. I mean the first thing you said was life and there's definitely like seems like I know for my own music it's very rare. I mean only maybe one or two times across eight albums have I written something that's more of like a story kind of from my imagination as opposed to from my personal experience and even when it comes from the imagination you plug in maybe multiple experiences into one thing um but it does seem like a pretty important thing to us collectively that 
that we're connecting to it on a personal level, that it's not just some like idea, you know, like a random thing like, Oh, this year it's just going to be about Tesla going to Mars. Let's do a Mars show, you know? And it's like kind of distant from our personal experience. It's usually we're like looking in, I guess. Right. Uh, Okay. Another question. This is like the question answering podcast. I think that's probably the best way to put it. Look in, don't look out. Yeah. A little bit of a motto, I guess. Um, let's see here. <laughs> oh, here's one. Um, at T-E-V-V-E-T-V-L. Um, any possibility of having the percussion help record and release an original song with a Broken City artist going off the vibes of incorporating me and Irusi, Adam Watson, Irusi in your shows. <clears throat> Over to you. <laughs> we tried this once, didn't we? The Sony. Yeah, there's Sony video. Yeah, there's an artist named Sony S A N N I, um, who I was working with a lot a few years back, and his stuff's like very fun pop, kind of funk, slightly throwback. And this company had approached. I don't even. I don't remember where we met him, but they were, they were, it was the 360 video yeah, thing yeah, was like yeah. kind of about to come out and they had created a, a, a way of combining GoPros together, like eight of them or something. And we thought it'd be a cool idea to like integrate Broken City and playing all around in a 360 environment, like in, out in nature with Sonny singing and dancing. Should, um, uh, it's out a, there. Put a link. At, okay. Um, in the podcast for that. So yeah. Grab that. That's cool. Yes. But I think if you Google Sony, the song is called Just Like That. It's also on iTunes, I believe, Spotify, and uh, Broken City. You'll probably find it on YouTube. Um, but I'll get a link too. But um, that's the closest we've come to it. And it's weird. It doesn't seem like it's, there's a lot of energy in, in things going that backwards in that other direction. Yeah. I mean, it's. Maybe I think that. anything's possible. I'm I'm open to it. It's just the the access to the membership is so seasonal, and even um, if you were to collect uh, a portion of the membership, a lot of them are uh, watching drum corps over the summer and they're unavailable. Um, See, so it would have to be. I I would assume it would be more geared towards age outs and um, yeah alumni that have that would like to participate. Yeah, logistically it'd be hard, but also I think when I and when I think, you know, using those instruments and that aesthetic in the world of let's just say my own music, I instantly think, oh, that's been done. Like I think of that huge Gwen Stefani song that was yeah, really based on it's that. It's like a novelty and it, it feels it was, like a novelty yeah. and I wouldn't want to put that in a novelty yeah. type context. Um Unless someday I had an idea <laughs> where it didn't seem, where it seemed novel in a good way. But I have a segment that I've invented for this new stage of the podcast, this new like reinvigoration of it. Okay. And it's called Stupid Questions. What would be the worst animal to a attack you to death I was going to say aardvark I just went straight to aardvark <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> I just tried to picture him going for my jugular or something I guess it's humiliating 
Yeah, that... That was, you know, just to be known as the guy who was killed by an aardvark. Yeah, I don't want to go down that way. And I lean towards... Well, I'm... I asked my dad this question also, but he said Ebola. He went, like, micro. Uh, um, but yeah, I would think a clever snake bite or something. Something where you, you just have to be, like, sick until you die, kind of. Um, I'm going to make this even further, so stupid questions. Um, is it important to you to have fun making music? How important is fun? The fun is happens at some point. So yes, but uh-huh. here's the context. So suffering. The fun does not have to happen right away. It doesn't have to happen during the composition. It doesn't have to happen during the learning process. It has to happen somewhere. And also the fun doesn't have to be a local event. It it can be local. You mean within you? Like, or do you mean in your city? The the fun doesn't have to occupy space and time. Like the fun can be the abstract of the whole process. So it's it's a little bit of a so a memory. Yeah, or or even just the fact that just uh, I mean, we all need something to do, right? So what do you want to do? You want to flip burgers for eight hours a day and you know it's like i the fun is that like holy crap i get to do this for this is my job so it's not it's i can i can have pain and suffering and it can i can have bad days but i can still look back and go like damn so this is fun look what i get to do is it a combination of delayed gratification mixed with the sort of reminiscing quality that that was worth it and like you can sit there and kind of go like man that that wasn't always really what we're doing here is like like trying to figure out what fun means like what's the definition i guess um, it's kind of like yeah. do you believe in god it's like yeah. oh you know well the the what's, what's uh, the definition of those words so but i like your definition because a lot of time you talk to people or i hear people talk like I, I watched this show on navy seals training you know and it'll be the hardest time. And if you asked any one of them, are you having fun during it? The answer would probably be no. But at the end of it, you look back and that was like the greatest time of my life. You know, like when you suffered and got something out of it, it's like in retrospect, there's some value there that maybe falls under the category of fun, I guess. Or I know what it is. It's meaningful. And I think that's, if I'm going to answer my own question, I'm going to, I'm going to hijack it really quick. I would say that for me, fun is meaningful and that I have a hard time having just plain old fun. Although now that I've had a kid, I've, I've learned more how to have fun, but I like meaningful a lot. That's meaningful is fun. I think when you're worth it, when you're in control of your, your day, it's, it's an abstract fun. It's not necessarily fun. And that, that doesn't mean you don't have responsibilities and you have places you have to be and you have things you have to do and you have deadlines and whatnot. But ultimately, if you zoom out far enough, don't you have control over your day? And that's the part that's that's fun to me. Like I, I don't necessarily that's have true. control over, you know, when that camp date is or when 
that rehearsal starts or when that lesson begins. I don't have control over that. Um, so it's gratifying to have like auto- a certain amount of autonomy. Yeah, but I have control over, you know, however far you want to zoom out. And this this would apply, I think, to anybody. It's like, do you have to have that job? Do you have to live there? Do you have to drive that car? Do you do you really have to live in that city? Like you just keep going and going, and it's it's ultimately. Um, hopefully, you've made choices or are continuing to make choices that lead to more. And more. I'm going to borrow a I'm going to borrow a Jordan Peterson thing here. Is it's not the suffering, it's not the absence of suffering or trying to rid yourself of suffering or omit suffering like you know completely. It's is the suffering worth it? Yeah. At the end of the day, like all those deadlines and responsibilities and things that we have to do that, um, you know, even some unpleasant things, it's, uh, is it worth it? And then the answer is yes. Then I guess I'm for the purpose of this answer, I'm calling that fun. Yeah. It's like gratification it, and gratification and meaning and, I like that. I like that. And when I think about, um, <laughs> and done, <laughs> I had something to add, but it flew out of my head, out the door. Yeah. Um, okay, I have one last final question for you. All right. Wrap this baby up. Um, you have to choose, and it has to be the first thing that comes to your head. Your favorite. man. <laughs> How'd you know? What's your favorite, uh, what was the most gratifying show of the last four Broken City shows? Oh, you can't ask me that. No, dude, don't break the rules. Oh, gratifying? Cage. Boom. Yeah. I mean, we, can I explain why? i just going to leave it like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to do one of those like, oh, and then we ended the Let's podcast. do a quick why and then you can press stop. Okay. We just come off a season of not making finals. And we took a huge risk renaming the group. Didn't know if kids were going to show up to auditions. And meddled both SCPA and uh, and WGI, which was a... The, the, the warmth of the reception of just fans, the membership, and of course, at the end of the day, the... The judging community is, it just changed everything. Well, speaking of fun, it was kind of fun to to kind of see, to make that kind of change and have people go, where'd they come from? Wait, wait a minute. What's going on? Like the, that little bit of confusion and sort of stuff was like, it was a little bit fun for me to watch. And, and, and to know that the changing of the name was really not like contrived or it just came through us kind of, spending more time together as friends and talking about like philosophies surrounding creativity and, and things we were frustrated with, with the creative process when, or collaborations and, and it just led to like, Whoa, why don't we just make this a little more official? And then you're like, what if we did this? What if we called, what if we brought this name of your production company over to broken city and then boom, boom, boom. And what's funny, a little side note is that, um, squeak the, uh, called the show cage and at one point you were going to use my song cage from um hero in the pain album and then in the end didn't use anything from that song but it became like the jumping off point in terms of a title or whatever 
But sometimes it's just like bait and switch happens. It's weird, but it's a fun process. Indeed. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be doing this all the time, every week. Visit, uh, um, we have Patreons going, which uh, we really super appreciate your support. We want to keep bringing you guys this and hanging out with you weekly. Uh, what's yours, Jackson? Mike Jackson? Jackson Percussion? Jackson Percussion, yeah. Jackson Percussion, Patreon. Mine's Adam Watts. We're going to start one for the podcast so we can uh, just bring you more of these and make time for it. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.